good morning, everybody. How you doing? Ready for a long weekend? Okay. Whatever. Uh, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 100, the Old Testament. Psalm 100, just a disclaimer, football season has begun. And uh, yesterday I spent uh, uh, three games in a row roaming the sidelines. And uh, my wife said to me, the last thing she said to me before I left the house in the morning, she said, don't scream, you have to speak tomorrow. I screamed. I, I yelled a lot. We won, and I screamed even more. So <clears throat> if I clear my throat a little bit, it's a little scratchy, but I think we're going to be okay. So Psalm 100. Um, well, as Dave mentioned, uh, and as most of you realize, we're in a series called Seeking to Know, uh, in which we're exploring the idea of God's will for our lives. And last week, we kicked off the study looking at what the Apostle Paul said to Christians in the early church uh, about the whole issue. Um, and uh, he basically makes the point in Romans 12 that trying to know God's will without really knowing God is a foolish and futile endeavor because knowing God's will ultimately comes down to knowing Him. It ultimately comes down to relationship. Paul explains that what God, our Heavenly Father, wants more than anything else in this world is to be in close, loving relationship with his children forever. In other words, God wants you and me. He wants all of us, each of us, body, mind, and spirit. And if you missed last week's teaching, I encourage you to go online, invest about 30, 30 minutes uh, to listen because we, we discussed some other matters that are pertinent to the study that we're kind of building on. So if you missed it, go online and, uh, and catch up, okay? Uh, so as I've been thinking more and more about it, I've got to tell you, it occurred to me that before we jump too far ahead on the subject, perhaps we should take some time uh, to consider what it is we actually believe about God. Because, uh, well, it seems only logical that a key to understanding the, spe the specifics of God's will rests in understanding the specifics of who, uh, who God is and what he's like. And so in order to do that, I, I thought we'd begin by reading Psalm 100 together. Just so you know, it's a very short, ancient Hebrew song in which the author uh, invites people uh, to worship God with joy and gladness. And at the end of the song, he explains why. So let's take a look at it. I think you'll see what I mean. The psalmist writes this, Psalm 100, verse 1, Shout for joy, all the Lord, all the earth. Uh, shout to, for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Uh, before we go on, let's pray together. Our Father, we've joined here together as your people, as your church, the community of faith, to... Uh, to worship you, our God, to extol your name, to proclaim your greatness uh, to all the earth. Uh, and Lord, part of that act of worship is not only us express, expressing ourselves, but also involves us listening to what you have to say to us, um, that we might learn and grow uh, and be able to discern what is right and, and, and best. And so I pray that in the moments that we have here together, Lord, that you would, um, you would remove the distractions from our minds that would keep us from hearing your word. Uh, you would remove them from our minds. You would remove them from this place. May we be able to focus on you, our God, 
and what you have for us today. So teach us, we ask, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we noted last week, life, especially for us uh, living in 21st century America, is filled with endless possibilities and choices. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, we're, we're, for, we're forced to choose between a set of uh, wonderful possibilities. You know, should I accept the high-paying job offer in Maui, or should I accept the high-paying job offer in San Diego, California, right? Do I purchase the house with three full bathrooms on a half an acre, or do I purchase the house with two and a half baths on a full acre? Uh, do, I, do I buy the Lexus, or the Ram 1500 Longhorn truck with a Hemi 5.7 liter V8 935 <laughs> HP. Uh, and I don't know what any of those numbers mean because I am mechanically challenged, but they sound pretty cool, so I thought I'd throw them in there. But the, the point is, uh, none of those options I just mentioned are bad ones, right? At other times, however, we, we may find ourselves having to choose between uh, let's say, less desirable options, maybe even two, two painful alternatives, like do I accept the job that moves me far away from family and friends, or do I remain close to home, close to those I love, and stay unemployed? Or do I have the surgery that results in me never being able to conceive or risk losing my life to cancer? And then, of course, there are those instances when we have no choice at all. Uh, maybe a child suffers from a chronic behavioral problem which has no definitive diagnosis or treatment. Perhaps a spouse informs us that he or she is leaving and there's nothing we can say or do to stop them. So you see, all those life situations, the good, the bad, the in-between, beg the question, where is God in all of this and what does he want me to do? You know, does God even... Does, God even, does it even matter to God what kind of car I drive? Does, does he give a rip that all my options today seem to stink? Does he care uh, about my triumphs, my challenges, and my tragedies? Well, as Christians, uh, I, would, I would hope that in every aspect of our lives, uh, we, we want to, if possible, uh, know and discover the will of God and do what's right. But here's the thing. To do what's right demands we take time and figure out what actually is right. But if you're like anything like me, impatience sort of drives you to want to just skip all of what we consider non-essentials. Let's just get to the answers, you know. We want to know what school do we go to, uh, who do we marry, what sport do we play, where do we work, how do we invest, what decisions to make. Well, the one thing that I've learned over the years is that before I, before we, can determine with any degree of accuracy what God may or may not want for us, the first thing the first thing we have to do is come to grips with who we believe God is and what he's like. You see, there are certain, there's, there's some certain assumptions, some basic assumptions that we need to iron out in our minds uh, before we ever hope to grasp anything about the will of God. If our assumptions are correct, then everything kind of falls into place. If our assumptions are wrong, then it's going to lead to confusion and frustration down the road. Simply put, what we believe about God is critical to our understanding of what he wants for us. So with that in mind, let me ask you a couple of questions. And I just want you to think about these for a second. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe he is loving? Do you believe God wants the best for your life? Do you believe God knows what he's doing? And I don't want you to answer those questions too hastily because 
Because there are, there are some other legitimate things to consider, for example. T- take the huge disappointments we all face at one point or another in life. How do we reconcile um, a good God with birth defects or chronic pain or suicides or acts of violence or shattered dreams, broken relationships, untimely deaths? I mean, let's be realistic here. In view of the difficult and at times painful world we live in, it takes faith to believe that God is good. It does. But before you decide he isn't, before you abandon God in anger or disillusionment, think about the alternatives. If God is not good, then evil is the ultimate victor. If God is not love, then there's no hope. If God doesn't care what is best for us, we're in trouble. And if God is is a bumbling deity who has no idea what he's doing, then we're all just left here on earth to struggle on our own and, you know, hopefully, hopefully make it. I mean, make no mistake, you know, the way we answer certain questions about God and the correlating assumptions by which we operate really shape our entire approach to understanding and discovering and pursuing, pursuing his will for our life. So let's just take a few minutes and let's identify four biblical assumptions uh, I would prefer to call them truths, about who God is. First, Scripture makes it clear that God is by his very nature good. Uh, Psalm 100 is a prime example. The writer calls people to shout for joy, you know, to sing loud, to praise God with enthusiasm and with thanksgiving. Why? The psalmist says, because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. In Psalm 119, the writer proclaims, Lord, you are good. What you do is good. Everything you do is good. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Translation, give God a chance and he will prove his goodness to you. And who knew that better than David? The Old Testament prophet Nahum declared it this way, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Over in the New Testament, James says that God is good. He is the giver of all good gifts. John says, God is good. Paul says it. Uh, Peter says it. And Jesus makes this interesting statement. He said, no one is good except God alone. Now, when we hear that statement, some of us are going to say, well, hold on a second, man. I know some good people. How can that be true? Only God is good. Fair question. So let's clarify what exactly Jesus was saying. In Scripture, the term good, when applied to God, is really, it's really a statement of perfection. In essence, Jesus was asserting that no one is perfectly good. No one is perfectly good all the time except God alone. And that being the case, I think most of us can jump on board with that and agree with it. You see, goodness is a divine attribute of God. Uh, it's It's not merely that God does some good things now and then, but that God is by his very nature perfectly good all the time. Uh, In the broader sense Uh, The goodness of God includes all the qualities or characteristics of an ideal person or being. In other words, to say that God is good is to say that he is perfectly just. Uh, He is perfectly truthful. He is perfectly righteous, perfectly faithful, generous, merciful, and gracious. See, the goodness of God can be viewed uh, as one facet of his nature and character, but it also uh, represents sort of the overall summation Uh, of his nature and character. I find it interesting uh, how 
Uh, I will often hear people say, or now, you know, see them uh, post on Facebook, God is good, which I agree with. Uh, But what I've noticed is that the declaration is most often made after that person gets what they want and things work out the way that they had hoped. You know what I'm saying? It's like like we pray for a job and suddenly we get a job. We're like, God is good. Or have a big meeting tomorrow and I'm feeling sick as a dog. Lord, I, I just need to feel better. I feel better. God is good. But in those instances, we, we tend to say that because to a, great, to a great extent, our idea of goodness means whatever is good for me. But what do we say and what do we post when things, you know, don't work out so good for us? We don't get what we want, the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it. You know, we're faced with unexpected difficulties or when we experience Uh, pain or hurt or loss or confusion, are we still willing to say, are we still willing to post, God is good? Or do we have a tendency to think, even if it's for the most brief second, that God is not so good? He's bad. He's vindictive. He's callous, uncaring, deceitful, disengaged with my life. And rather than attributing our unfortunate, painful circumstances to the brokenness of our world or to the bad decisions we make, or some of the decisions people around us make, do we just blame it all on God's lack of goodness? I mean, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just wondering, is God good or not? Well, for what it's worth, here's what I think. I think that in light of life's difficulties, the only way to truly understand and uh, accept and affirm the goodness of God is by not trivializing the word good to mean whatever is good for me. You know what I'm saying? The goodness of God's nature is not determined by what I perceive as the goodness, uh, as the goodness of my circumstances. The God is, is not the author of evil at any level, to any degree, at any time. He is by nature perfectly good all the time, which is why Scripture encourages us to always trust Him, uh, to worship Him, to be grateful to Him. Another biblical assumption or biblical truth about God is that God is loving. You know, one of the most amazing teachings of Scripture is that God loves us, not because we're so irresistibly lovable, because we're not. God loves us because he is a lover at heart and because he chooses to do so. He chooses to love us. When writing the early church, the Apostle John stated this way. He said, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. In other words, uh, love, along, along with goodness, is an aspect of God's divine nature. Now, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, uh, what I have found is that when it comes to the idea of God's love, there are, uh, well, there are a couple of unhealthy, uh, but I think fairly common misunderstandings that people have. I mean, some people simply refuse to believe that God is love. They refuse to believe that God loves us, and they, and they do so oftentimes because they either see themselves as too despicable to be loved by anyone, including God, or they interpret their less than desirable circumstances of life as proof that God is an unloving adversary more than he is a caring father or friend. On the other hand, uh, on the flip side, there are people who fully believe in God's love. They believe in it, but they take it for granted. They sort of view the love of God to be this basic human right. Uh, Not only do they view themselves as deserving it, but they interpret love 
as meaning always making them happy. You know, uh, on some level they feel that God, God kind of works for them. You know, his divine, it's, his, it's his divine job, you know, to, if he truly loves them, to make their life fun, comfortable, and easy. Uh, once again, as with goodness, the confusion seems to rest in our understanding of the word love. Uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, well-known Christian author and thinker C.S. Lewis uh, explains his view on it as he's discussing this whole matter. And he says, you know, by love, most of us mean kindness or niceness, the desire to see others happy. What would satisfy us would be, would be a God who said of anything we happen to, do, to like doing, what does it matter as long as they're contented? We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, a senile benevolence who, as they say, like to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might truly be said at the end of the day, a good time was had by all. Lewis goes on to suggest that we would all like to live in that kind of a universe. We would. And he included himself. He said, I would. Then he said, but since it is uh, abundantly clear that I do not live in that kind of a universe, and since I have reason to believe, nevertheless, that God is love, I conclude my conception of love needs correcting. And that's probably the case for most of us. Here's the simple truth. And it's critical we get this right. God does love us. His love is an expression of his nature. It's not merely an emotional impulse, but a rational commitment, a voluntary affection. He loves us whether we love him or not. He loves us In all circumstances, as a father, he loves us enough to always seek the best for us, even if that's hard and seemingly harsh. He loves us enough not to give us everything we want or feel we need or think we we deserve. He loves us every day in every way. How can we be sure of that? The Apostle John says, well, this is how. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God. No, no, no but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As some of you know, I have two two children. I talked about them last, last week. And I'll tell you, you know, as much as I like all you guys, it is unimaginable to me as a father to think that I would or even could ever sacrifice the life of one of my children for you. No offense, but I, have, you know, I can't imagine ever doing that. But let there be no doubt about it. If I was willing to make that kind of personal sacrifice for you, then I'd do anything for you, right? It would be the ultimate demonstration of commitment and love. So it is with God. Uh, if God loves us enough to sacrifice us, his only son, then he obviously loves us enough for anything and everything else. That's why John, the apostle John says, we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Uh, I like how Lewis summarized it in his book. He said, you know, God is not proud. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. He loves us. You know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we want to know, at least I assume we want to know God's will for our lives. 
And we, we believe, we trust, we rely on the love that God has for us. And so, so in every agony and in every ecstasy, we, we must be, always begin with a twofold prom, a premise that God is good and that he loves us to an unimaginable degree. And if those things are true, then the following must also be true, that God wants the best for us no matter what, that he's always on our side. And let me tell you, man, that there, there are days when I find that very difficult to reconcile and believe. I'm just being upfront about it. I have a hard time with it. Like you, I have days when I'm, I'm really stressed out and I'm feeling under pressure when everything seems to be going wrong and all the options ahead of me just stink, seemingly. You know, days when I'm scared, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I feel alone, having a pity party, all those things. And then and on those days, I wonder, you know, I wonder if God really wants the best. Does he really want the best for me? And then there are the days when I wonder if he really wants the best for others. Like my friend with terminal cancer. Um, like the couple dealing with infertility. Like the hard worker who can't find a job. The single parent trying to raise three kids. Like the soldier deployed to Iraq. The elderly couple ripped off by a scam artist. Like the child who's been abused and scarred for life. I mean, where is God's best for those people? I mean, think about it. If God really wants the best for us, but the worst happens, does it mean then that he doesn't care and that he can't do anything about it? He's callous and he's impotent. Our inclination as Christians say, no, 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 not at all. Some good, we say to people, some good will come as a result of everything you're experiencing. It'll, it'll all work out in wonderful ways that, that you just can't imagine or foresee right now. Or some, someone's going to come to faith as a, as a result of what's taking place in your life. Or God will use this experience to teach you something that you would otherwise never learn. He'll use this to strengthen you and, to turn, and in turn use you to strengthen and encouraging, uh, encourage others. I've said all those things. I've responded. I've given those responses uh, throughout the years. I, and I believe they're true. And yet somehow, in the midst of difficult circumstances, they ring shallow and seem woefully inadequate. In moments of pain and confusion, we need something more than cliched statements. What we need, what we really need is to believe with, with the core of our very being that first and foremost, God does indeed want the best for us. And it's okay. Look, it's okay we don't necessarily understand how that's all working out. It's okay to admit that God's goodness and love doesn't always line up rationally with what we're seeing or experiencing. Because in the end, it ultimately comes down to faith anyway. Now, do we believe Scripture is telling us the truth? Uh, as David put it, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Do you believe that? Paul writes, we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Later he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you believe Jesus? Here's the point. 
when we're seeking God's will on whatever, the, whatever it is, you know, whether we're asking you know, what college to attend, what person to date, what investment to make, what career to pursue, what house to buy, what car to buy, what path to follow, again, with, we begin with the biblical assumptions that God is good and that he loves us and he wants the best for us. And then here's the final thing to keep in mind. God has a plan for each of us. And God does not operate the universe by the seat of his divine pants. Uh, neither does he leave us alone to blindly try and maneuver our way somehow through life. It's one thing to say that God is good, that he loves us, that he wants the best for us. But if God, you know, if God isn't willing to help us, or if he has no idea who he wants us to be, or where he wants us to go, or what he wants us to do, we're in trouble. But here's the deal. God has determined the way he wants our biographies written. He, ha- he is the creator and the architect of our lives. He has a plan for us, his people, all of us. You know, there was a time in history when God's people, the Israelites, experienced a, a terrible tragedy, really. The nation was invaded by the Babylonians, and Jerusalem was just, it was devastated, just, you know, destroyed into rubble. And uh, the, many of the people were carried off in captivity to Babylon. And as you could imagine, you know, their greatest desire was to go back home. You know, that's what they wanted most. It's what they hoped for. It's what they were praying for. In fact, in an effort to try, try and, you know, tell the people otherwise, some false prophets came along and predicting that the, the return back home to, 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 to the land would, would, would happen very soon. But it wasn't true. God had a different plan. He had planned to keep the people in Babylon for 70 years, which was more than the life expectancy of most of those Israelites. And uh, through his prophet Jeremiah, God told them to settle down, build houses, pay taxes. He said even pray for the prosperity of Babylon, uh, Babylon as long as you live there. Uh, here's my Reiki summary. God planned to leave the people where they were and not take them to where they wanted to go, at least not right away. And so in the midst of their confusion, God offered these famous words to his people. He said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I.e., God says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm God, you're not. I know what I'm doing. And I believe the same is true for all of us. God knows what he's doing, even when I don't. And he has laid out a schedule for my life, for each of our lives uh, that extends beyond this world into eternity. He has, he, has, um, he has a grand design to bring together all the parts and pieces of our lives and relationships in ways that we can't fully imagine. We just can't. His plans for us are good and they are loving and they are best and our future with him is filled with hope. What do you think about that? And what do you think? Do you believe that? In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, Christian author and pastor A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So all that brings us back to the question at hand, what is God's will, right? So in the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk more specifically about how to discover the will of God and pursue it. We're going to look at at, God, um, at what God wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. We're going to discuss the explicit direction God offers as well as uh, how to gain wisdom in making decisions 
where his direction is lacking. But before we get to any of that, we really first need to decide what we believe about God. Because if we're not, look, if we're not convinced of God's invariable goodness and unrelenting love for us, then we're probably, we're probably never going to really trust his direction or even ask him for wisdom or even you know, take his wisdom into, into consideration. If we're not confident God has our best in mind and that he has a plan in place for us, it's, it's, it's way more likely we're just going to second-guess him all the way and choose to pursue our own course of action you know, no matter what. However, if we believe what Scripture tells us about God, then we've already taken the first and most important step in not only knowing, but doing His will. So here's the deal. Whatever it is you're facing in life today, you know, uh, whatever your circumstances may be, whatever decisions are before you, whether your choices are between wonderful possibilities or less than desirable options, or whether you seem to have no choice at all, you tell me. What do you think? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe that he loves you no matter what? Do you believe that he has your best in mind? He wants the best for you. And do you believe he has a plan for you? If you can honestly answer yes to all those questions, then you are ready to know and do the will of God in your life. Let's pray. Our Father, each of us recognize that life is filled with decisions and choices and options. Some of them are good ones, and that makes it hard to choose. At other times, our options don't seem very good at all, which also makes it hard to choose. In other cases, we're left with no choice. I think, Lord, our Our desire is your people, at least it is mine, but I believe it's all of ours. We want to do what is right and good, and we want want to know your will for us. Um, And I pray this, this morning that you would help us think through our definition of goodness. Help us understand that goodness, your goodness, isn't about what's good for me necessarily about my circumstances and that your, your love isn't about making me happy and comfortable uh, all the time. Because sometimes that's, that's how we interpret those words. And I ask God that you would, you would help us recognize that no matter what our circumstances may, might be, that we are not the center of the universe, you are. And that you are working to bring all of history to a point of culmination for your glory and good. And we are each just part of that story of redemption. That through it all, no matter what happens in our lives from one day to the next, you are good by your very nature. And you love us no matter what. And from, from your love and goodness flows your grace, which changes our lives and changes, it really changes everything. Um, I, I ask God that we would, we would think through these things um, seriously and decide what it is we really believe about you. And I pray for all my friends here in the room that we would come to the conclusion that yes, you are indeed good all the time and you are loving all the time. You love us no matter what. And out of those things, your grace is extended to us. Your grace finds us no matter where we are.
in whatever circumstance. It comes to us because of Jesus and through him. And so it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. You know, the, uh, the uh, grace of God is, is flows out of the fact that God is good and God is loving. And one of the, a couple of lines in that song, I really, really resonate with me is, uh, enough for the saint and the sinner, you know, enough for the rich and the poor. I would add to that and say it's enough for the religious and the non-religious uh, because, you know, so many of us are confused on what Christianity really is. A lot of people in our world think they know what Christianity is, but they really don't because to them it's about religion. It's about their works, their efforts, their good, their good attempts and performance at, at earning God's goodness and love. It's not about that. God, God is good and loving no matter what. And his grace comes to us uh, through Jesus. And it's embracing that and understanding that and following after Jesus, receiving the forgiveness for sin and our brokenness and, uh, and, and receiving that gift of eternal life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I, mean, I, I hope you guys understand that. Um, come back next week. We're going to continue with the series. Uh, we're going to talk more specifically now next week about how we understand the will of God and how we begin to make decisions in light of it, okay? It's going to get really quite practical next week, so make sure you come back. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Enjoy Labor Day. I'm always confused. It's a Labor Day, but nobody works on Labor Day. So whatever the case may be, whatever, you know, enjoy it. Have a good time. Um, be safe. Uh, and then let me pray for you when we're done. Lord, I pray that as we leave the pla- uh, this place now, as we, your church uh, exits the building, that we would go with the knowledge of your goodness and of your love in our minds and hearts, uh, where we find confidence in walking through today because we know that um, you have our best in mind and that you have a plan for our lives. And even in those days and those moments when we're not sure what we're doing, Lord, that you are in control and that, and that your love and goodness is, is true no matter what. And, and so may we celebrate that today. May we go in confidence. May your, your hand of grace and peace rest on your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.